That sound is so soothing. I feel like I'm sitting beside a fireplace snuggled up with a book, while the air is full of the aroma from my favorite candle. Welp, I guess I better snap out of it as I'm actually sitting in my office making sure these bills are paid. This coconut wax candle sure does transport you to a space of mental relaxation. These uniquely blended scents and these individually hand-poured candles never seem to irritate my allergies. I can't wait to set the mood tonight and soak in a bubble bath full of self-love. What have you done for yourself lately? Treat yourself or someone else to a toxic-free candle from Kahana Candles. Relax, you won't regret it. Candles are available at www.kahanacandles.com and ship nationwide. That's Kahana, K-A-H-A-N-A, candles with a K, dot com. Hey loves, I want to welcome you to Candid Conversations with me, Tania. This podcast is about exploring the thoughts that swirl around in my mind, having candid conversations with others, and sometimes I may read some original poetry or a blog I've written. I hope the content of each episode touches you in some way. Happy listening. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Candid Conversations. I'm so excited to have yet another guest on the podcast. Joining us today is my older cousin, Greg. Hey, y'all. How are you? (laughs) Now, before I let Greg introduce himself, reminder to all who's listening that my guests usually have no clue what the topic of conversation will be or where the flow of conversation might take us. Hence, the conversation being candid. So I'm going to let Greg introduce himself to you. And so, Greg, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Hi, my name is Gregory Taylor. I'm originally from... New Jersey. I currently live in Washington Heights in Manhattan. Um, I am a career restaurant manager and smartass. Um, that's <laughs> kind of the general idea of who I am as a person. Um, yeah, I play a lot of video games. I cook. I make a lot of drinks and stuff. And I'm sure whatever else about me that's interesting will come up in the conversation. So let's go. Yes, I'm so here for it. All right, so today's topic is da 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 da. That was my little fake drum roll. Identity. <laughs> oh, oh, one of my favorite things to discuss because there's so many facets of this we can go into. Right. So I know it's a super robust topic. So I I've jotted down a few questions, but feel free to ask me questions. You know, make it a full conversation. Okay. So my first question: How do you define identity? Um, identity are identity is any set of characteristics or traits that make up the total person that you are. It's not limited to what people call you. It's what people see you as, what energy you put out into the world and how you see yourself as well, because you need to know who you are so people can't define you. I like that. I like that. That, That's encompassing. That's because you did an episode of Identity. I listened to your podcast. (laughs) I'm like, he, he know the dictionary definition of identity. Um, so my I read the dictionary as a kid so (laughs) you know we smart out here yeah um how do you identify currently and what factors help to shape that identity oh this is a complicated one that um I think about a lot because 
<clears throat> even in my last episode of my podcast, I talked about how things change with time and even sometimes your identity adjusts as times adjust and you learn things about yourself and about other people and about the world. How do I identify myself? Um, I'll use a description I use when I go on job interviews and give people like a, kind of a point of reference because that's kind of a lot of what your description of identity is. I literally tell people I'm the male version of Angelina Jolie's Maleficent. <laughs> that makes for, well, for those of us that know you, that makes perfect sense. Um, it's, it's more of this, it's more of the sense that I am who I am. I'm going to be who I am hundred percent of the time. Once I tell you who I am, there's no sugarcoating. There's no hidden anything. There's no agenda. It's just that. Now, if you want to get into technical terminologies of identity based on <clears throat> how we talk to people and how people would um, describe themselves in the current state of the world, I am a cisgendered, homosexual, black, biologically born male. My pronouns are he, him. Um, I, feminine pronouns don't bother me. I could honestly care less. Um, and as long as you don't call me Jeffrey, I usually answer to just about anything. Why does Jeffrey bother you? Um, I don't know. Something like I've gone through the whole gamut of George's and Craig because it rhymes with Craig. So like something about Jeffrey bothers me because it's not even the same letter of the alphabet or even the same enunciation of words. I definitely understand that. It's like you're not even trying. Stop it. Can you break down the first part of what you said for some people that may not be aware of what cisgendered means? Okay, so part of this conversation being about identity highlights what I was saying about things changing over time. As you find people finding voices and representation in the world, people put labels on things to kind of stake their claim on their place in the world. The term cisgender means I identify and live as the gender and sex I was assigned at birth, as opposed to someone who was transgender who transitions from that gender to the gender that they feel is more attuned to who they are as a person. And the reason why that term is important is because a lot of, most of the labels that we take on are for other people's understanding, not so much ours. I know who I am. I need to be able to articulate and explain to people who I am so they treat me and address me accordingly. I like that because I was going to ask you, like, do we need to explain who we are to people? Um, I tell people this all the time because especially with this kind of topic, when people ask about like identity and gay, straight, bi, pan, whatever, and the terminologies, why do we need the label to make other people comfortable? So if people you don't care are, about making it other people comfortable, then it's like, who gives a fuck? Um, the problem with that is there's a certain level of care you have to have when you interact with other people. If you want to be amongst humanity, if you want to go live in a mountain somewhere by yourself, then fine. But if you're going to interact with people, <clears throat> there's a level of civility you have to have in order for people to at some point leave you alone and mind their business. You have it. to be able to say something to them to get them to be like, okay, I get it. Carry on. Also, I just want to point out that you guys can't see Greg, but we're doing this interview via Zoom and his background's giving me so much life. He is sitting there with this like red light. It's giving me red light special vibes right now. Oh, all the, oh wait, all the lights. Like life my, giving, all, life giving. All the lights in my apartment change colors. From <laughs> my bedroom to my bathroom to the little foyer thing in my hallway. It, it all goes in different colors. Are you changing colors now? Because now I can only see your name. You oh, that's good. Oh, that, oh, the one in my bedroom, the um, app is on my phone. So uh, close out of the window. Hold on. 
Okay, I'm back. There we go. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I just had to put that out because I'm loving. It's just the red light glow. Oh, this is my sleeping light. <laughs> I'm about that though. Like different energies for different lights. Exactly. All right, next question, next question. I don't, I don't have that many questions, so feel free to jump in and ask me questions oh. too. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I know you have no issues talking. Oh, no, not at all. Actually, I have, a, it's funny that you mentioned this topic because I listened to the last episode you did with your guest and um, yeah, interesting things about identity tying into that topic and some of the discussion about um, dating and the advisements on dating because there's a complication that comes about with identity, when identity comes into play because for example, how I identify I don't have those OGs or those templates to go back and ask those questions to. So a lot of that in my realm is kind of when you're dealing with a heteronormative identity, you have more of a paint. You can go to a couple of different paint by the numbers models to figure things out. I kind of have a blank piece of paper and a box of crayons and have to figure it out. See, that's so interesting. So Going back to not your episode on identity, but your episode on being femme. Mm -hmm. uh, I was waiting for RuPaul to come up as an example and like never ever popped up. And I'm just wondering, I'm like, man, is that just like something as heterosexual people? We just all like, oh, RuPaul, RuPaul, RuPaul. You oh, know what I'm saying? Funny that you mentioned that talk about identity because I mentioned, <clears throat> I don't think it was on an episode of my podcast, but I think I said it. And one of my random videos, the pro oh, I actually no, I said it in my episode of representation. I didn't get there with, yet. Um, with a lot of straight people, when they think of gay identity, they see what is put out there, <clears throat> and a lot of times, what you're given is the um, caricature or the character of what homosexuality is, as far as a high feminine identity. And you mentioned RuPaul. Some people's uh, RuPaul is the gay of the gays. Ah. Uh. So they see that and like when they see anything outside of that, it's confusing or perplexing. That's why the labels are kind of key to give people identity, but also in the form of identity, you see, and <laughs> I haven't done this episode yet because I have to um, probably be intoxicated to discuss this. But when you think of the identity of DL men, for example, the reason why that exists to a certain extent is because the representation that has been seen for a lot of people is that gay automatically associates with femininity. Right. So like and what comes into my brain is like moonlight nowadays, but like growing up, I thought of like Holiday Heart and RuPaul. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <clears throat> Our generation growing up, we had Holiday Heart, RuPaul, Hollywood for Mannequin, the two characters they had on A Living Color. Tu Wang Fu, like all those things Fu. growing up. Yeah. So if you are a young person who identifies as same gender attracting, but you're not specifically a feminine person, you can't find a base or root in your identity because you don't see yourself represented. If you're not overly feminine <coughs> into fashion and sassy and snapping your fingers and carrying on, you're not going to associate yourself as gay because that's not what you see. So there's no other alternative identity for you to find. So you'll live a certain way more connected to who you are, but everything else about you is a secret or hidden or repressed. Now, to your point about Moonlight, Moonlight was a great example of representation 
of different facets of what it can be to be a gay man, but it also highlighted something else. If you notice, all of their interactions were in secret out of the eyes of the public. Mm-hmm. But then you turn into, and that was in that was one of the representation of mainstream media. But then if you want to go to, <clears throat> I won't say Noah's Ark is like at the cult. Oh level. my God, I love Noah's Ark. But you saw a level of diversity of the gay existence from the Noahs, the Wades, the Rickies, the Alex, and the Chances. And that was a little bit more um, reflective of a true spectrum of identity, especially for gay Black men. Or when you watch um, the UK or the American version or even the reboot of the show Queer as Folk, uh-huh. you see a full or spectrum of what it what the possibilities are of a gay existence. Or even if you see the representation in a lot of TV shows now, you're not seeing every gay character being a sissy. Yeah. Well, so the, I guess that kind of plays into my, I had a question just popping in my head, but this is the question that I wrote down. It says, do you think you chose any parts of your identity for yourself or do you feel like your identity was determined for you by other people or by society? So I will speak on my behalf because this is something I've said to people multiple times through my life and you can probably talk to your mother and she will attest to this. I have been who I am. Oh, I know. Time and memorial. Me coming out of the closet was not so much a surprise. It was mostly people saying, God, it's about time. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So would you mind sharing your coming out story? Because I I know it because I've listened to your podcast, but I think it's an interesting story that most people don't think. Like, I think when people (laughs) think of a coming out story, it's this like traumatic thing. And like you said, most people in our family were like, okay, like, okay, we knew. Well, here's the thing with my coming out story, because I'll give you the full origin story, then the two branches of the two technically most important people most people come out to. From the time I was a child, I was different from how I would talk to engage people. I was always more interested in adult conversation, being around other children, but also I had a bit of flair with everything I did. How I walked, how I talked when I got old enough, the hair, the nails, and all that and whatnot. So no one was surprised. I was the only kid that liked getting dressed up for stuff. Everybody else, you had to get them in dressy clothes. I'm like, ooh, can I get a new shirt? You used to dress my Barbies better than me. Same thing with my sisters. To <laughs> make the clothes out of trash bags, the whole nine yards. So I repressed it a lot. And <laughs> not trigger warning, but if you were in any way, shape, or form related to me, you already know I hold nothing back. Given the nature of the Um, male part of my parentage had a very specific image of what was expected of me. And being gay was not specifically part of it. It was never verbalized specifically, but I was expected to have a bunch of girlfriends, da-da-da-da-da, which to a certain extent I did fulfill, but little did everyone know they were my girlfriends, not my girlfriends. Um, as far as my coming out, I did not officially come out until I was 14 when I was forced to go live with my mother and Lyndon. Prior to that, now here's a funny story. Um, HBO had a show called Oz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, the premise of Oz is Oswald State Maximum Security Prison, da 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 da. Now, initially, um, as f- some form of. Um, torture or therapy of sorts my father concocted 
he wanted us to watch Oz and see what would happen if we would go to prison. Little did he know. <laughs> it was getting you off like, oh, oh, yeah. Little did he know. I'm like, oh, what is that? Shortly after, we were not allowed to watch Oz anymore. Um, so that was, that was, <clears throat> everybody gay, lesbian, bisexual will tell you there's a point of awakening that happens where they're like, aha, that's it. That was mine. Like there were, in, there were stuff beforehand that was just like, this is weird. That was my gotcha moment. So <clears throat> the funnier story about when I actually officially came out was I went, when I went to live with my mother, we went to church every Sunday or whatever. I was 14, I remember, because two weeks before I came out to my mother, I actually officially got baptized. Mm-hmm. That was um, interesting. Yeah. And <laughs> the whole time through my head, I was worrying that, I was like, this water is going to start boiling, it's going to turn into a pit of snakes or something, and I'm, whatever. <clears throat> Nothing happened. My grandma, my father's mother, who was a more avid churchgoer than my mother's, gave me a white-covered Bible for my baptism. When I came out, I am definitely afraid of my mother. If anybody knows, speaks to my mother, my mother is like 5'1". Cute little woman. She's evil. Little people run the world. She is evil. <laughs> and I love her to death, but she's evil. I, I, fe- I leave for my mother and God. So I wrote her a note, put it in her pocketbook, and ran. Literally, I was on the track team, so I was used to running. I ran to school. Whole day, I'm in class, freaking out, didn't know what to do with myself. Freak, weird freak out moment. Got home, there was a note wedged in the Bible and I'm like, oh God, oh God, she's gonna send me to conversion therapy or try to perform an exorcism. Note said, at least you're not fucking a duck. To this day, she will not tell me what a duck has to do with the cost of tea in China. But that was a moment where I was like, yeah. Now, the weirder thing about me coming out is prior to the whole coming out thing, as I said, I always was the flashy, sassy kid. Uh-huh. So when my father made me go live with my mother out of spite, my father kept all my nice clothes. Yep. The He's bag a very of clothes spiteful which, individual. Yes. The bag of clothes of which he gave me to take to my mother's house were actually clothes that your father had given me and Dewan, my older brother, to do yard work in things. Right. It was like some college sweatpants and stuff like that. Nothing that I would wear in public. Yeah. It was literally for yard work. Yes. <laughs> so the last half of my freshman year of high school, I hid in the back of my homeroom class wearing God knows what, because it just didn't feel, it was <clears throat> my coming out was timed perfectly that it was my sophomore year of high school when I got to go school shopping and dress myself the way I wanted to so it was like a full circle experience that once I got to get wear the clothes I wanted I felt like I could be myself more now the story of my father coming out to my father happened a few years later because yeah fuck him um (laughs) so in when I went to Johnson and Wales the first time my mother and my sister, we took the train to Providence. They helped me move, then we broke, moved it on the train or whatever. Um, due to his intervention, I had to leave school and go back to high school because I started school a year early. When he realized I was serious about culinary arts and stuff and had a plot in his head for me to open a restaurant for him, he thought, 
he would swing in and play Super Dad and drive me <clears throat> to go back to school. Well, spite's a genetic quality. So my father doesn't stop when he's driving. He drives like a bat out of hell and refuses to stop for rest or anything. I got him to stop because I was like, I got something to tell you. He's like, what? What is it? What's wrong? You need money? I'm like, no, you're already giving me money. Um, that's a whole separate conversation. I was like, I'm gay. You would think this man saw Jesus. He swerved into a McDonald's parking lot and bought so much food that I would just stuff my face and eat till we got the private. It's not bring it up anymore. So that was the last wow. of that conversation with him. He's Until, never brought it up since then. Um, not directly. <clears throat> he said he's had a couple of like side snide comments. Like at one point, my older brother, who's far more forgiving than I am, bless his heart. Uh-huh. talked me into coming to one of my father's barbecues because he has bar- his birthday is around Labor Day weekend so he does a Labor Day barbecue he talked me to come to one of the barbecues and he made a comment about um, me having frosted tips on my hair and I had to look in the face I was like I have 4C grade hair you don't frost 4C grade hair you dye it and the, immediately Dewan nudged me and I'm like where's the alcohol you made me come here where where is the alcohol? I I need alcohol. But to the point of this conversation with identity, the luxury, and I say luxury because a lot of people don't have this. A lot of people, <clears throat> even people I know, don't come out till later in life or don't come out comfortably till later in life. I had the luxury of having people around me to um understand and respect who I was at an early age. So I didn't have a lot of the traumas a lot of people have because um, also with coming out and identity and things like that, um, to credit your mother very greatly for this because my father made it seem like there was something wrong with me that people didn't want to be around me a lot of the times. And your mother was very adamant in the police. She's actually like, no, I, I said nothing of that sort. You're welcome here whenever you want to be here. Um, Nobody wanted him there. <laughs> he was projecting. He was projecting also because at the time, he was the vehicle which I would need to get there. So that makes more sense now as an adult. But at the time, it made me feel unwanted, un- unwanted because I thought there was something wrong with me. But your mother make, made it very clear and continue make, to make it clear to this day. There's nothing wrong with you. You're welcome here whenever you want. Please do not come armed. <laughs> she doesn't want anybody armed, to be clear. She doesn't okay, want any of us armed. She's the only one that does not like to be armed. Oh, uh, well. Everybody else right. stays armed. I, I, I'm like, okay. I take, I take public transportation by myself all the time. I have no choice. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the, I had what I will call a very simplistic coming out experience, just like you said, I don't have the cliche um, after school special, what was me kind of story that a lot of people unfortunately have. So if they would try, if they ever made a TV movie about my life, that would probably be the most boring part of it. Because I didn't have the pray the gay way situation, the conversion therapy, I wasn't kicked out of the house or anything. Um, for the most part, the vast majority of the people in my life actually defended and they got more shit for it than I did. Yeah. Like 
I credit my mother for the number of times she's had to defend my identity for people challenging questions. How do you let your son walk around like that? She's like, my son goes to school. My son pays his own bills. My son ain't got no random kids running around. He don't claim. Have a seat. Uh -huh. So I've had it easy compared to a lot of people, but that's the whole thing is, with people's identity and the double-edged sword of the labels and stuff to make other people comfortable. Some people will repress who they are to make other people comfortable because they don't want to risk the alienation. So I was, I guess that kind of leads me to the question that popped into my head originally. Is part of it repression or part of it like not knowing who they are as people yet when they are coming um, into their gayness? Do you think they like lean toward the stereotypes first and try them out? Um, I think it's a combination of a number of things. It's <clears throat> one, the overarching thing being any member of the LGBTQIA plus community is a minority. Everybody wants to fit in somewhere. And because of it not being, um, <clears throat> like my blackness is very evident when you see me actually, ironically telling people I'm black is more of a shocker than anything else. Everybody thinks I'm Latino of some kind. Me too, but, I always get Dominican. Same, but <laughs> because it's, uh, because the LGBT identity is a marginalized name, it's not based on any defined set of characteristics it can easily be hidden so you can stealthily move through life and have an easier life because you don't want to make other people uncomfortable because once you make other people uncomfortable, they will alienate you. That's number one. Number two, the representation that people see. If people, and this is why um, the recent thing about Tim Drake and then Jonathan Kent coming out as bisexual in DC Comics is important because there needs to be representation so people have some vicinage to latch onto, to see themselves, to have an identity. They need to see like things that look like them and sound like them and feel like them. So they know who they are and where they need to move through life and the access to that. <clears throat> now, the funny thing about that is not every place in the country is going to be New York, Miami, Boston, Los Angeles, et cetera, and so forth. So you may not see those representations in your everything life. So it's very important for people to see that in media so they understand they're not alone and that they have some semblance of existence beyond the four walls of a room or their little town. And it's also the people around you, the things you hear in those spaces. So Speaking specifically from the experience of a Black man, one of the biggest conversations that's been happening on social media recently is a lot of trauma that has come from the barbershop. That's so and interesting for, that you mentioned that because that came up. I started watching the show Harlem on Amazon Prime. Yes. And yes. it's literally highlighted in there. I was so I hoping that, you, I was hoping you were going to touch on it if you saw it. I was, no, I, I, I binged watched it um, when I got home from work this morning. So that specific scene is exactly some of those traumas that people deal with, because if you're either um, firming your identity or just establishing learning yourself, hearing those type of conversations where people are dropping the F slur or being overly misogynistic <coughs> or homophobic or femphobic, and you're still on your journey or you already have an identity, you're just like, okay, this is not cute. Luckily for me, I have a gay barber. That's dope. Um, we talk about everything under the sun, but he also cuts the fuck out of some hair. He just has some issues with showing up on time, which everybody knows is a pet peeve of mine, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but part of those things is finding a safe space in your community where your identity is accepted. And I say accepted because we're here. We've existed 
since ancient times and cultures around the world. It's not like this is some, some something new. So everybody acting like, oh, that's not, nah, read a book. Or just learn a history beyond just what's passed down from- What's given to you. What's given to you, don't- Learn to don't ask a eat. question, inquire deeper. Yes. Or even if you don't ask a question, because I don't like people, I don't like talking to people, contrary to what I do for a living. Oh my God, this is why we're related. Because <laughs> I, I teach for a living, but I'm like, please don't talk to me. I have a whole podcast, but I'm like, I don't want to talk to you. Well, Unless I, I know you podcast. and I love you, that's different. It's way different. Well, that's part of the reason I do mine. I can talk to people without having to talk to people. But the point I was making was, you can either ask, do your own research. Yeah, I'm big on that. Like, I do my own research on things. And even like some of the topics I talk about in the pod, my podcast, people are like, how do you know so much about Like, honestly, when I was in middle school, I spent hours in the library by myself. I'll, and this is the secret to how I came into my identity so early. And a lot of people will, this is where I say doing your own research is helpful. So when I was in Piscata with my father, a lot of the stuff I said in the library was stuff for school about like Greek mythology and stuff like that, whatever, whatever, whatever. When I went to live with my mother, you started to see a lot of things on TV, a lot more like shows had like minor gay themes. I went to the library and they actually had a section with books mm. about coming out experiences and a couple of like... Um, B-rated or C-rated celebrities had little memoirs about them coming out. I read them cover to cover. I didn't even know those existed, but that's my own, like, I guess, egocentric bias of what I'm looking for. But it's not so much an egocentric bias. It's kind of, and there's something I'm going to touch on with identity in a second, specifically about that part. If it's not, and this is why I say the labels are to make other people comfortable and let, let less confusion for other people. If it's not an identity you're exposed to or that you have as part of you, you're not going to have a interest or intrigue in that identity. I guess you're right. So despite my exposure at that time, I was also trying to find my own identity. So I'm gravitating toward things that I identify with. That exactly. makes total sense. Um, and to an to another extent, and <laughs> if you are listening to this, please bear in mind as comedic as I am, there are serious topics I do talk about, and this is gonna be a little heavy. Um, one of the moments that um was a very turning point in my life was in 2011. I found out I was HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Part of the coming out process was triggered again because. I then had to do research on how to live with that as now that has become part of my identity as who I identify as a person. And that's where it truly made me realize when you don't have something as part of your life in your circle or around you, you don't know anything about it and you make a lot of judgments or assumptions until it is put in your face and you have to deal with it. Everything I knew about that was what I saw on TV, the minutia they taught in sex education, which was don't get it, wear condoms, and how it was portrayed on TV shows and movies like Philadelphia, for example. Like oh my that, God. That freaked me out because- It still freaks what, me out. That's what I saw. What, when I, they said that, that was the immediate picture that popped into my head mm-hmm. until I did my research and learned more to explain, okay, it's not like that anymore. But for a lot of people, 
because it's not part of their identity. They only know surface level things that they've been portrayed, which is why, again, when it comes to not only finding your own identity, but understanding those of others, representation is important. One of the Especially biggest- because you're, I like what you said about Philadelphia, because growing up in the era we grew up in, you either had Philadelphia or Magic Johnson. Like there was no in between. It was like, oh, the miracle drug or like, nah, you going out. Well, it was, it wasn't, see, the thing with Matthew Johnson, I'll take it a step further. And it's just, it's still prevalent in society. The thing with Matthew Johnson wasn't the miracle drug. It was like money or no money. It, it, yes, that's exactly what it is. You either have the money to survive or this is how your life is going to be. And that but sucks. When it, even when it comes to representation, sometimes it has to be taken to an extreme for people to get a point across and my favorite one is our favorite character from the series True Blood, Lafayette. When that show came out, the number of people that called me and asked me what I'm doing on TV, and I didn't understand why until I watched the show. I was like, okay, I get it, but I don't wear that much makeup. But Lafayette changed a lot of what people's perception and representation was because he covered a full spectrum of a person. He had his moments of high femininity, high masculinity, um, vulnerability, um, villainous betrayal, and stuff like that all the way through. And the funny thing was, in the book, he wasn't supposed to live. Uh-huh. But because that character connected with so many people, and again, because people saw themselves, they kept him on straight through to the end of the show. He had a boyfriend by the end of the season. He had Actually, by the end of the season, he had had two boyfriends. But that changed a lot of people's lives because they now saw somebody that made them feel like they're not the only one. They're not alone. So what are your thoughts on people are like, why is this being shown on TV? Like the whole guys kissing or girls kissing. And I'm just like, well, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it first because I have my own thoughts on it. Okay, because I think our thoughts are around the same perspective, but you know I'm generally more aggressive than anybody else. Uh (laughs) From the time I can remember, and I'll even use the comic book thing for an example too, the forced agenda in society has always been heterosexuality. Clark Kent, aka Superman, has been with how many different women? Yep. Lois, Lana Lang, whoever that galactic woman who was trying to breathe with him and everything else like that, Batman had Catwoman and all these other folks. So that's what's been forced. All we're trying to do is balance the scales of what actually exists. Because if art is supposed to be imitation of life, hi, I'm alive. We're alive. There's gay people, trans people, butch people, femme people everywhere. And if you look through even historical context and text, they've existed since time immemorial across boundaries, borders, oceans, and everything. So why not show the reality of the world's diversity? And I mean this in all, not just in the LGBT representation, but in all fronts. Because for example, um, there's a lot, oh, this one gagged me. So the West Side Story movie just came out. And there's a bit of low-key controversy because one of the actresses who was playing a Latina role went on a Spanish station and needed the translator. See, 
And that's the same issue that people had with Zoe Saldana playing Nina Simone. Oh, I'll take it a step further. That's the issue a lot of people had with the casting of In the Heights. They were like, In the Heights is supposed to be about Dominicans. Well, you have Puerto Ricans playing Dominicans and no Dominican actors can take these roles. Mm-hmm. Representation matters in all fronts and all aspects of people's identity because people want to see themselves not on the char- screen. Not- not just the character, but themselves. Yeah. So people who had the lived experience to play those characters. That's why there's so much controversy about um, straight actors playing gay roles per se, even though acting, you should be able to do whatever, but that's fine. But child, there are so many gay actors running around looking for parts that are really, really good or gay singers, or here's one that um, this made me very sad when it occurred. And this is why I no longer um, publicly claim anyone's my favorite because it seems to put a curse on them. The Jesse Smollett situation was very disappointing for me. Oh, man. And that whole case is going on still right now, right? That, no, I think they found him guilty of um, five of the six charges. Wow. But up until that point, I was a Jesse Smollett stand because he gave a new face yep. to what it meant to be a gay Black man. He was not overly butch, but not overly feminine, kind of a regular, regular dude who liked men. And from a loving Black family. Yes. And then when it came to his music, I don't have to change the lyrics. Nope. For it, the, the last guy I dated, when we decided to officially, we were riding up the West Side Highway, listening to his song, Freedom. And even in the video, it had the whole, he was not afraid to show, or even when he was on Empire, his character Jamal on Empire was groundbreaking. That broke so many barriers for not only a gay character on Prime Minister, but a gay Black character in a TV show that was primarily revolved around hip-hop culture. So then how do you, how do you juxtapose uh, Jesse Smollett prior to his, whatever he just went through, his court case and everything, um, to a Lil Nas X? Here's the thing, and this is, and I, I'm, I was about to bring up Lil Nas in a second. Yeah. As much as we put these people on pedestals as represent, and I don't like using role models, I'd rather say representatives mm-hmm. for identities, we also have to give them grace for their humanity. Yeah. They're human. Um, should they be mindful of their behavior in the position and visibility they have? Yes, they should. But they are human. And we cannot hold them to a higher penalty for their behavior when it happens because they're still human. They don't sign off their humanity for their platform, but they still need to be held accountable. That's why the R. Kelly Kelly situation bothers me so much. Because people gave him entirely too much grace for entirely too long because he's R. Kelly. He's the Pied Piper, yeah, but he's a predator. All those people that was enabling his behavior needs to be gone too. But that's a whole nother topic. But that goes into the identity conversations of how many people attach their identity to wanting to be like him. Mm-hmm. And then their whole identity becomes shaken when that person does something wrong because they're too attached to that person. That's why I say representative rather than role model. Because yeah. you don't necessarily want your life to be exactly like someone else. You don't want to make the same mistakes or go on the same journey that they did. You want them to be like, okay, I can, I can see what can be done. Let me do it my own way. Like, 
I've done drag. I've never wanted to be RuPaul. And you can see that. Personalities are so different. Exactly. And also, drag is expensive. Mm -hmm. Drag is time-consuming and work. And also, because of RuPaul, drag has also become a much more complicated battlefield to where getting bookings and things like that or the expectations of what you're going to do are so much higher. But that's why, again, representative rather than role model. She's established a realm for people to have different identities and be able to express them and stuff like that. But now it's just integrated into society. And we have to allow it to breathe and live as such without people like um, one of the drag queens I know, very legendary performer, Harmonica Summit. She does a drag queen story hour and she and I talk all the time. The number of people who come protesting that is mind boggling. Why though? Why are you showing this to kids? They're reading a fucking children's book in a well, library. That's what I was going to ask. So that was like, I guess the the crux of what what I wanted to know from the original question, because I hear oftentimes, well, I don't want my kid exposed to this or don't I don't, I don't want to watch this around my kid. And I'm just like, but you will watch Love and Basketball around them. You'll watch Beauty and the Beast around them. Like how if we're going to expose them to heterosexual love or like if you don't want your kid exposed to one thing, then expose them to nothing. And that's just my stance on it. Like then remove all of it from well, the TV well, and then you be the example we'll and expose them two- to the people you want, you know? We'll take this in two points. One, with the drag queen story, most of those stories are our general acceptance of all people. They have <clears throat> all different diverse characters in those books that just happen to have LGBT representation to show that LGBT, LGBT, LGBT people exist. Okay. So that's more of what those stories are about, showing the full facet, multicultural, multi-family dynamic and things like that. Now, to your point, people need to stop overly sexualizing the existence of children because children only, um, children need to be parented, guided, and taught. Children will only absorb what they are taught. Don't teach them sexual things if you don't want them sexually involved. And yep. that should cover straight people, okay? The children don't need to know about sex until they're old enough to understand what sex is, regardless of who's doing it. Exactly. Now, attraction, attraction is a biological thing, and who somebody is attracted to, in my opinion, comes from, they're, they're born that way. So you're going to be attracted to who you're attracted to by the end of the day, whatever comes naturally. Now, you need to be guided on how to manage that attraction. That's where parenting and mentorship and things like that come into play. But so many people... Um, have become so reliant on mass media and things like that to raise their children, they don't know how to do that correctly. They think that they need to tell, instead of wardening what content their children absorb, they think they need to warden the actual content. I agree. You said that perfectly. I'll give the perfect example would be, I love horror movies, love Mm -hmm. them. Got that from my mother. My mother would watch Freddy Krueger with me and explain to me, this is a movie. This is not real. Freddy is not going to get you in your sleep. That is on the TV. That does not exist. When I would watch certain things on TV, I remember watching, I was like 17 or 18, watching Queer as Folk with my mother. And she was like, they got this on TV. I was like, it's on Showtime, Ma. She's like, oh, okay. Go make sure kids just can't randomly happen upon this. And then they have questions their parents aren't ready to answer. I like the but, way she said that questions their parents aren't ready to answer not that kids aren't ready to understand their parents but how are you going to explain it to them exactly 
there there's you need to be like the running uh, I, I have to I keep bringing up my father because this is just a perfect example of these shortcomings that parents have I knew the password for when AOL first started when you still got the D, the CDs with the 30 days or whatever I knew the password to his AOL account for about five years this man sat there and trusted me and my brother to set up our accounts to the children's setting and expected us to respect that bound. No, sir, what? <laughs> Do you know the stuff I was looking up on the internet when I was 12? If people saw my browser history, they would have questions. I mean, it happens. But, but that's because parents are leave, parents weren't aren't parenting. They think, okay, I'm gonna give you the computer, I'm gonna give you the device, I'm gonna give you the TV, and y'all gonna figure it out from there. But then when what they figure out isn't exactly what they thought, all of a sudden there's a problem. Children just are innately curious. So I do feel like as parents, you should be ready to explain certain things. And when you're not, say, hold on. All right, let me get back to you on that. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go learn something and we go and come back and have this conversation. Go learn something. You can find somebody. Or you can learn it together. You can learn it together. Or the the number of people that have asked me for tag-in passes if their kids get to a certain age and have questions about sexuality or gender or whatever i'm like i thought tag me in i got it or um my best friend dominic he, his he his um girlfriend just had a baby girl he's like i don't know what to do with a girl <laughs> i'm like the fuck I, I don't even date women you think i do i was like i can teach her how to walk in heels and shit i don't know how much further i can help her <laughs> She may not even, she may be a lesbian. Then that's going to be more up your alley to talk to her about some things. I don't know. We we won't know till we get to that point. But the problem is parents don't want to do the process up until that point. They they just want to coast along and think that it's not a process of guidance. Yeah. They want to wait till stuff's in their face. Like, oh, I don't know what to do. I'm like, you should have thought about that. I feel like we kind of went over this question already. So if we did, we can just scrap it. If not, you can touch on something. So one of the questions I wrote down was, what was growing up like for you? I feel like you were surrounded by so many different types of family dynamics. So. (laughs) Like, you see what I did there? Because like, in my brain, I feel like, and there were probably way more different family dynamics once you take it to like extended grandparents and stuff like that. But me growing up with you, I always felt like there were three families, like my family, your immediate family with your dad, then your immediate family with your mom. Like, I just feel like you, it was like different so sectors. Kind of, I kind of touched on it, but I'll go into a little bit more detail. My mother is an only child. My father only has one sister. So my family had different, not even different branches from the same tree, different branches from different trees crossing in the wind. Um, My experience growing up with the different sectors of the family, partially because of my father and how he brought us up, I always felt like there was something wrong with me. Because there was a certain level of alienation he did from every other sector of the family because as I came into adulthood and talked to other family members as an adult, I realized that a lot more people were challenging him on his behavior than I knew. 
And the alienation had nothing to do with me. It had more to do with him not wanting to be told that he was wrong. He was not only that he was wrong, but I was also informed later in life how many more people defended me than I knew. I was always made to, he always made me feel like people didn't want to be around me because I was too inquisitive. I talked too much or I was bad or something. But then later in life, I was like, we didn't have an issue with you. We didn't have, we had an issue with how he was handling you. Yeah, he didn't like people that had opinions, which is why he didn't really get along with me. He didn't like people that had opinions. And that, the catalyst of that was primarily because a lot of people would tell him when I was growing up, was like, listen, you need to put him in this. You need to get him this kind of thing. Da, 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 da. He tried to throw me in sports. And like, people, people were telling him, like, I was like, that's not going to be what hits it for him, sir. You need to get him in something creative, some sort of that kind of out. Don't tell me to raise my kids. Okay. And to your point, with my two little brothers, that's why he didn't get along with me. Because every time I came in there, I'm like, we've been down this road already. You see what has happened with the two older ones. You're repeating the same thing. Yep. They're doing the same thing, expecting a different result. is called insanity, sir. Well, but, but then, we all know that he is, so. Yeah. We're, he, he's a special kind of insane, though. <laughs> um, but as I got older and was around different members of the family, there was that. But then in my mother's realm, it was more of family by circumstance and choice that ended up. Because I have a lot of aunts and uncles that have no blood relations with. And the funny thing is my one blood-related aunt, I don't talk to her. Yep. I know that. I don't, I don't speak to her because she, she was one of the ones who actively made me feel like there was something wrong with me. I overheard conversations where she would like not want me around her kids because she has a bad influence. Da, 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 da. That set a tone for me and that kind of was what put in my head that there was something wrong with me. I'm like, you're my only blood related aunt and that's how you feel about me? That's not, mm -mm. But then with my mother... I had all these people around that became family by proxy or circumstance or by choice so that as I got older, even before I learned more about that as a whole, I already had experience having aunts and uncles that were friends of the family or people that people went to school with and blah, 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 that did things for me or took care of me or gave me instruction. Like, for example, when I talk about Father's Day and Mother's Day and things like that. I have people that I bring up or talk about that don't specifically fit that role by general societal standards, but fit that role for me personally. So for example, my uncle Gary is a friend of my stepfather's actually that stepped in as a male role model figure. He's actually the one when I decided I wanted to cook would let me practice in his kitchen and help me learn all that. But he also taught me about sensitivity as it feel as it addresses manhood because my father was the button up don't cry hold everything my girl was like nah that's not healthy <laughs> that's not going to get you anywhere or even some of my uncles there were friends of my dad's I'm named after two of them but some of them had more positive influence on me than my father did. My uncle Greg, for example, was an accountant and stuff like that and taught me a lot about 
be proud of any achievement you have regardless of what anybody else thinks about it. If you are happy and comfortable with what you did and what you've achieved, don't let anybody tell you it's not good enough or make fun of you or it's not worthy. My uncle Joe, who was also a firefighter with my father, but also a bus driver was the one who was like, don't take everything so seriously. You don't have to be on all the time. My uncle E and my uncle Amont were the ones who were like, be, be flashy, show off. Do, do some stuff that's abnormal that people won't expect. My uncle E passed away, but I remember going to his house and it was the funniest thing. I walked in and I was enamored and this is probably part of what set my fascination with swords and things. He had katanas and naginatas all over his living room. I was not allowed to touch them for obvious reasons, but I was like, oh, this is nice. Or my uncle Lamont, like, don't be afraid of being yourself. And that taught me, like, family is not just your aunts, uncles, the people you see in family. Family is what you make it. And even more so as I became, as I came out and went to college and stuff like that, I learned even more of that within the LGBT community because, like I said, I didn't have the after school special coming out. A lot of people did and had to create their own families. And that introduced a lot of people to the house and ballroom scene, especially for the Black and Latino community, where you come into this situation where you're looking for those brotherly and sisterly fraternal bonds and you know, a maternal or fraternal figure to help guide you. And there are people who have been through life that are willing to do that, and you become family through that. I love it. That was like a great answer. Um, let me see. I feel like you answered that question already. You are who you are. You've always been this way. Um, so how do you think you are perceived by others? (laughs) (laughs) The laugh is the laugh. (laughs) Um, it depends on when people catch me. Like if I, I tell people all the time, I was like, if you're going to judge me as a person, by because I'm almost always at work. If you're judging me as a person by what you see at work, you're not getting the whole picture. Um, a lot of people perceive me as, they, a lot of people don't know how to perceive me because I don't give people a lot to read off of me a lot of times because if I don't know you that well, I'm not, I tell people all the time, I'm, a, I'm an aggressive introvert. Like if I'm somewhere and I'm around people, I can be social, but it takes me a minute to like read the room and know the gauge of, I'm very much one of those people who, ask, who all going to be there because I want to know <laughs> where my limits or my boundaries are for how I can speak or if there will be children present because I don't want to be responsible for other people's children. Yeah, I don't like to censor myself. I don't either. I can't stand it. <laughs> and um, me and your mother have this conversation around the holidays every year about um, the debate about if I come to Jersey, if I'm coming to see y'all, if I'm going to see my mother's family or whatever. And my biggest thing is I, my mother doesn't do it because she wants me to hold back. She does it so she that we don't have to jump anybody, but I have to bite my tongue a little bit more because a lot of them still have this perception of Greg, the sweet, talkative, bubbly kid. And I'm like, yeah, that, that dissolved a long time ago. Whereas your mother's like, we have liquor. Word. <laughs> Let's take this shot. Let's pour this drink. <laughs> you walk in now, she's like, you know where the bottles are. Have fun. But this leads to my disclaimer: We're not alcoholics, people. We are not alcoholics. We just we like to drink, al- and we do it well. The the alcoholic is not on this episode. He is in Texas. 
<clears throat> I said what I said. Now, here's my question for you. How do you perceive me? I don't know. That's hard because for me, you've just always been Greg. Like, I don't have like, I, it, I would really have to think about descriptive words. Like, I think we are so similar. So because I struggle to, I guess, to describe myself is why I, I would struggle to describe you. Like, you are confident in who you are. You've always been confident in who you are. You are very blunt, but you are blunt with love. Uh, you will go tooth and nail for the people that you love and care about. You will defend them to no end. Um, I don't know. I could keep going, but I feel like those are like the main things there, that hit for me. The, the reason I always ask that is because that's always and that's always been something I'm self conscious of when I meet people or like when people ask me to go out places. I'm always. I, I can control the energy I put out, but I cannot control how people perceive it. I, I understand. I have the same issue. But I'm, I'm over like, trying to control how people see me. Like, oh no, I've been working I, on that for years. And I'm just like, listen, I'm, I've been miserable trying to please everybody. And that's something I get from my mom. So I'm done with the people pleasing. And I'm just going to be me. But see, my thing, the thing for me is, unfortunately, I never went through a people pleasing phase. I, <laughs> I've never cared. It's just, I'm aware that certain opportunities have dissolved for me because of people's perception. Yeah. So I might, I don't care. I really don't give seven parts of a dark fuck. But, but so do some parts of you hurt when those opportunities dissolve? I'll, okay. Here, here's, a, here's a real life, true, current example. I worked at Boxers for three years. Mm -hmm. Hands down in my career outside of when I worked in Providence for Chris Harris for my first nightclub job, that was my favorite job. <clears throat> for the most part, they gave me creative outlet and access to do all kinds of things. If you go all the way back to my social media, you'll see pictures of like the theme parties that I did and stuff like that, the connections and friends I had and stuff like that that I built from there. And the fact that Boxers was an LGBT venue, I had access and resources to give back to my community there. But people's perception of me made people feel I was unapproachable because as you said, I'm blunt. If you are wrong, I'm going to tell you you're wrong mm -hmm. in how you need to do things. And eventually that came to a head because people got tired of me telling them they were wrong. And them being the people in control and realizing, well, we can either do this or we can go another way without him. We had to part ways after all this work and effort I had put in and resources and connections I made. So that has bothered me for a while. Cause I'm like, am I really, it, 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 it put me in a place where I'm like, am I really that bad of a person? I don't think you're a bad person, but to your point, I think your honesty and your bluntness, bluntness may make some people uncomfortable and they don't know how to deal with it. Oh no, that's the conclusion I came to. That yeah. I came to that I came to that conclusion a long time ago, but it, it made me double get, it made me second guess myself for a moment. I'm like, do I really need to hold back from people? But then I was like, no, because that's going to put me in a place I don't want to be in. Yep. And who's for you will be for you and will accept you how you are. Exactly. Because I've never, ever, ever been a people pleaser. I'm sorry. This is, 
innately not been in my name, not what I do. And I get that from my mother. I am who I am. Take it or leave it by. Mm-hmm. I don't have the time or the energy to be anyone but me for me. That goes for work, relationship, romantic relationships, platonic relationships. I don't have the time or the energy to compromise my identity and my personhood to make you more comfortable with who I am. Because at the end of the day, if I do that, that's not really who I am. That's not a real, that's not a real thing. Mm -mm, It's not, it's not a thing. And more people should start living that way. If they so choose. But if they so choose, but that goes back to my point of there's a lot of people when it comes to their identity, they would rather be accepted amongst the masses and exist as their individual authentic self that's, true. that's why there's some there's some people you'll see them i'll give you I actually here's a perfect here's a, actually a legitimate example i worked at a gay club in providence Rhode Island called camp it was right behind providence place mall my day job was actually working at lord and taylor in providence place mall then fridays um fridays and saturdays i worked at the club i am who i am all the time you see me at Lord and Taylor, it was Greg. You saw me at camp, it was Greg in more scantily clad clothing. But it was the same person. There would be people who I would see that worked in the mall, they were customers at the club. It was literally like day and night. And not day and night is, oh, you come to club, you come in club clothes versus your professionals. Not like day and night, like to the point where one of them was like, came up to me, he's like, oh, don't say hi to me when you see me in my job at the mall. I'm like why? I was like, oh, I don't want nobody knowing my business. And I'm like, okay, sis. <laughs> do you? But they do that because they want to assimilate more into society because it's easier for them to move. And I don't fault anybody for that. I fault the world for making you feel like they have to do that. Uh-huh. It's similar to if you go back in time to when um black black people were released from slavery people felt the need to like press and straighten their hair or use skin bleaching and stuff or if they were lighter skin to try to pass as white to have a better life and uh, understandably yes it is a survival tactic but who are you really serving with that man I don't know because that was a major thing when I decided to get rid of my perm and I was going on job interviews and I first wanted to become a teacher and I was going with my natural hair and my mom was like, you're not going to tame your hair. One, I was like, tame, what? And then two, I was like, if they're not going to accept me with my hair as is, it's not always going to be in a bun. It's not always going to be straight. Then that place is not for me. So no, I'm going to go rock my hair in this curly fro and they're either going to like it or not. Well, that's the thing for me when I send out my resume and my resume says Gregory Joseph Taylor and that name is not, does not command any sort of vicinage of who I am as a person. <laughs> that where, name is, is, where is Tania? It gives off all types of vibes. You don't know who about to walk in the door. I walk in, they're like, Gregory Taylor? Hi. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> not who it's, they were picturing at all. Especially when my, oh, I remember it was for um, a rooftop cabana bar in Manhattan. I'm in this room. There's like 15 of us interviewing for a manager position. All these other people are like older white men and like the regular blue and the gray suits or whatever. I dressed for the theme of the space. 
So I had a little pop of color and my hair was whatever color it was at that point. I don't remember. I think it was like a dark blonde or something. And I stood out in this room and the woman called me over and I saw her neck crack when I stood up. I'm like, I, I didn't think anything of it. Didn't really shake me. Did, went through the whole interview. She was like, wow, I'm really impressed. This isn't what I was expecting. And I made a decision not to do my normal clap back for that. But in my head, I'm like, so what were you expecting? Yeah. What, 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 what was... I'm I'm confused at what that's supposed to mean. Because this is who I am. And I I've had to deal with not getting opportunities because people are intimidated because I am so firm in my identity. Yeah. I have heard that after the fact from positions or conversations people have had with me where people are like, they think you're too much or you're too okay, fine. I don't need to be here then. I, I don't need that person in my life or we don't need to be friends anymore or whatever it is, whatever it, I'm, I'm used to being able to tell people, okay, bye. Because I gotta get better with that. I, 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 I'm not going to change who I am for a singular person, for a singular entity, for a singular group for a singular branch of society, as long as what I'm doing is not doing people any harm. My honesty is not legitimately hurting anybody. It may hurt your feelings because you don't want to face it, but it's not causing world catastrophe. I'm not sinking it. I'm not sinking Atlantis by telling you that your attitude is trash. Or you invite me somewhere and I ask you who's going and someone's there that I don't vibe with. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to pass. I'll pass because I need to protect my energy. I also need to make re- realize that my family does not have bail money. <laughs> and I'm not going to waste it on somebody stupid. Word. I do, I, I'm not doing that. All right. Ready for my last two questions I have written down? Yes. Okay, so for those of you that that don't know, Greg is very into fashion, and you take pride in your appearance. So if you could choose <laughs> one piece of clothing to represent you or your personality, what would it be and why? Actually, I'm going to you. I'm going to this is. I have several of these, but I'm just going to give a general description of it because it does. It the general description describes me: a paisley iridescent blazer. Oh my God, someone was literally just commenting yesterday on how much I like iridescent everything. So it's so funny that you said your blazer is iridescent. My, my closet is iridescent stuff, stuff galore. But the thing is, the blazer, because a blazer is a go-to staple item in any man or woman's closet that handles business or formal affairs. You can wear a blazer to a dinner, a lunch, a formal affair, and it's adaptable for any environment, very much like I am. I can walk into any number of places and be able to <clears throat> blend in. Paisley, because it's a classic pattern, but it's a standout pattern. It's something that people will be like, wow, that's nice. And then the iridescence is that little bit of flair. It's not too much, but it's just enough for people like, okay, that's different. And I think that pretty much describes me in general, or even like a perfect example would be the job I have now, I manage a Jamaican restaurant and they said, oh, we're colorful, bright patterns and stuff like that. I'm not going to do no cultural appropriation to start wearing stuff rather than both in Jamaica. I might take 
how I interpret that in my aesthetic. And it's gone over very well because I take classic things, put that little bit of flair on it in an easily relatable way, and it works. I love the piece of clothing you chose and the explanation that you had for it. I think like you described yourself to a T. I love it. <laughs> All right. My last question. I think I know your answer, but I'm just curious. If you could change anything about how you lived your life or how you were brought up, would you? Um, I would add one thing to the general education. As a teacher, I think you'll appreciate this. I would have added one thing to the educational curriculum I had in my later part of high school, which would have been a course in financial literacy. Because I like that, that your that, answer is unique, though, because most people are like, oh, I would change this or I wouldn't change anything. You're like, oh, no, I'm gonna leave everything the same, but I'm gonna add this. Yeah, I like, that's, that's a very unique perspective. Here's why. With everything I've done in my life, if I had a better footing and ideology on how to handle my money, I would have achieved a lot more things um, that were goals of mine, primarily because as everybody who knows me and my family knows, my life has been on fast forward from the beginning. I went to high school. I, went, I left high school to go to college a year early. I was managing a multi-million dollar nightclub by the time I was 21. So if I would have more knowledge of how to manage the money I had coming in from those situations, I'd probably own my own venue by now. I, I'd probably have a lot less um, concern than most millennials have. <laughs> about their finances. And the reason why I say my later years of high school, those would be the points when you would need it because that's when people start getting jobs and start actually getting their own money and how to deal with it. And I fell into the same trap everybody else did. I was buying clothes, shoes, going to the movies, hanging out, going to the club, whatever. If I would have known more about like budgeting, financial responsibility, saving, I would have been like, okay, I'm going to put away $10 a week for however long. And if I would have kept on that path from that age till now, honey. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it would have made a world of difference. That, that, that'd be, that would have made a world of difference. That would have been a lot of situations I could have avoided having knowledge of what the worth of money is. Now, a lot of people know what you can buy or what you can spend money on. A lot of people don't know the worth of money, because going back to what we were saying about the Magic Johnson versus Philadelphia, it's the money. Money, and legitimately, that's the a perfect example. Money saves lives. It does. Money saves, in the world we live in, unfortunately, money saves lives. You can have the, all the skills in the world, all the personality in the world, all the charm in the world, but unfortunately, we live in a capitalistic society <clears throat> where money rules. And the more you know about money, the more power you have in our society. I love that. Way to end our interview or our, not an interview, our conversation. Did you enjoy your time on Candid Conversations? I enjoyed being the guest instead of the host for Yay! once. Would you ever come back and do a different episode on another random topic? Of course. I'm excited. I hope you guys enjoyed my cousin, Greg. Where can they find you if they want to listen to your podcast? Or I don't know if your Instagram is public or private because I follow um, you, period. My Instagram is public. It is peaches with a Z underscore the underscore 
dark underscore one. I took that concept from Once Upon a Time where they have the characters of the dark one. Um, it's a little bit more representative of my personality in the sense that evil and maliciousness is not born, it is made by circumstance. Um, Literally one and, of my favorite characters in the series. Yes, even when, especially when you find out the origin of how he came to be. Mm -hmm. And then my podcast is Thoughts with Peaches with a Z. Um, it's available on all platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Um, my episodes come out roughly every two weeks. Check out my Instagram. I usually put out a little teaser beforehand with a little graphic that I create on my own with my own little Digi Peaches avatar, which I use for some of my videos when I don't feel like doing my hair or putting on clothes. All right. Well, thank you again. And I can't wait for it you to come back. It was lovely. Thank you. I will see you soon. See you soon. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation I had with my cousin Greg. I love him so much. As I stated on the episode, he's a no-holds-bar, very blunt, straight-to-the-point, charismatic, super dependable, and loving individual. I hope his energy and love came through this episode as I get to experience him in real life. As always, thank you for listening. You can follow me on Instagram at knowingnia. If you'd like to be on an episode or want to talk about a topic, send me a DM. I love to hear what you think, so please follow, rate, and review. Until next time, continue to live in your truth, be love, be light, be you. Peace.